What's up, citizens? It's your girl, Kina Zontel, and this is our first taping of Citizen the Pod. Thank you so much for hanging in there, especially as we move to a new platform. I'm also excited to be joined here today by entrepreneur and my homie, one of my bestest friends, Miss Felicia Dove. How are you doing today, girl? I am so excited to be here with you. Congratulations on everything. So let's just jump right into things. Um, today is a very special day. It is the one-year anniversary of Charlottesville, and the topic for today is quite heavy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of us have our own thoughts and ideas about how we can address police brutality in this country. And last year, we got to see, you know, live and in action hate groups in America. And we thought, post-Obama, how could we? Yeah. So this is... Just a solemn day for most folks as we remember the life of Heather Heyer, the young yes. lady who lost her life during that protest of white supremacists in Charlottesville. And, you know, I think police, police brutality is a great topic for us to touch on today. So let's get right into this. So my friend has a story to tell. Um, she had her own experience with these things. So let's get right into it. Um, tell us a little bit about first, tell us a little bit about yourself and black monarchy and then get into your experience. Okay. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for this platform. Um, my name is Felicia Dove. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. I moved to Buffalo, New York about eight years ago. I am currently an entrepreneur here. I love the city. Um, black monarchy is a global artisan and fashion boutique. Um, we specialize in, Artists and jewelry from all over the world, as well as authentic fabrics. Heavily from the continent, we have roughly about eight countries represented from Africa, and then pieces from all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, so you can almost know my platform immediately. It's right. about globalism, culture, um, really anti-xenophobia, mm -hmm. um, really trying to build the global aspect of what America is, which is a community of color. Right. Um, and a any color. Pot. It's right. a melting pot, for sure. Um, I guess so just to kind of jump right in to touch base with um, my experience as I used to say a police brutality victim, but now I say a survivor. Right. Because, you know, the language specifically, especially now in 2018, um, many of us didn't make it. You know, we're hashtags. And I think about how fortunate I am for my incident to have happened, you know, 2010, eight years ago, and then to now be able to speak about it on this side and having survived multiple herniated discs from mm. my attack um, and then being able to actually be uh, a spokesperson for um, police brutality and police reform and everything. Mm -hmm. So, again, thank you for uh, the opportunity. Um, kind of just like jump in just really quickly. Um, I was assaulted by a plainclothes officer in New York City um, on the Upper East Side um, after attending an event where my friend was having a birthday party. A plainclothes officer assaulted me um, because she was en route, lost her partner, um, actually admitted to being a little flustered. Um, there at that time and pretty much just took her anger out on me. Um, at the time I was a post, uh, college graduate from Hobart and William Smith. Mm -hmm. I was currently at Damon College, which is a predominantly white institution. Both of them actually are predominantly white institutions. Right. Um, I was on my way to law school. Mm -hmm. So I was very familiar with the law, very, um, confident in my ability to speak up for myself, very confident and questioning things that was happening wrong. And I think in that moment, speaking up is what caused me to be assaulted. Um, speaking up, challenged um, the officer in a way that she didn't like and ultimately led to my assault. Uh, it took me about six to seven months to recover 
from the actual assault itself, um, I had to wear a back brace and a neck brace for months. Um, not even to then go into the post-traumatic stress disorder that I suffered, mm -hmm. um, the depression that I went through. Because, you know, we teach our kids, if you're educated, you do the right things. Um, if you're well-spoken, if you have this amazing, you know, background and support behind you, these things don't happen to you. And I was proof that not only was that a myth, but it actually does happen to you. Your color transcends any level of education, any level of income brackets. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the biggest shock for me. So it took me years to actually unlearn that and realize that it's way bigger than just what I know, who I know, and my education. But it was a huge issue with communities of color right. and our relationship with officers. Yeah, you touched on a great point. Most people think that these incidents only happen in the hood. Yeah. And like she stated, she was on the Upper East Side. Well-lit neighborhood. Right. And most people yeah. think the Upper East Side of Manhattan, I'm African-American. I should be able to walk around, have a good time, feel feel confident. If I see a police officer, you might yeah. even say, hey, how are Absolutely. you doing? Absolutely. But in a second, circumstances can change for Absolutely. you. And based on your skin color, that's going to be how they may react to you. And that's so unfortunate. Yeah. So I kind of want to get into, you know, police brutality is not new in America. Mm -hmm. I remember watching Rodney King's mm. video back when I was a child. Yeah. I remember not really being able to grasp what was going on, but feeling hurt. Yeah. Feeling that was probably one of the first times I actually felt my own blackness mm. and you know i've i've grew up around cops i've i've no my family knew a whole lot of police officers but i never felt worried or mm -hmm. scared around them and that was the first time as a as a child thinking why wow i mean this can happen to it can me. it can and it's very scary mm -hmm. um post my um assault and everything i was petrified of cops right and that wasn't something like obviously i grew up in the hood um our communities were frequented by cops all the time. And I'm sure there was injustices that happened there, but never to me. Right. I was the good kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. I was on, tra I was traveling the world at that age. I had just studied abroad in Africa just a couple of months prior. I was just like all over. And for me, it broke a trust that I thought would have been there, should have been there. Right. Um, I remember being afraid to drive because I was so petrified to be pulled over Hearing sirens literally threw me into such a PTSD like fit. I couldn't even take it. So I completely understand when you say you feel your blackness. I didn't feel my blackness until I was just like, who do you call when you can't call the cops? Right. Right. You know, and communities of color deal with that all the time. And how do we bridge that gap? How do yeah. we create that trust between the community and police officers when it's been so broken. Mm -hmm. um, there have been many suggestions, community policing being mm -hmm. one of those. That's when police officers get out of their cars and they walk those neighborhoods. They get to know those communities. And, and a lot, a lot of other folks say, well, we need more minority officers, mm -hmm. but we've seen instances where black officers have taken their power and pushed limits yeah. and have been abusive to, you know, minority communities. So, there's still a lot of work to do yes. and we're still kind of trying to figure out what are best practices in that area. Yes. So to bring, I want to, I wanted to bring up 
Um, Saturday night, there was the NFL Hall of Fame, and Randy Moss, who's an NFL player, he was receiving, I think he was being put, he was being placed into the yes. Hall of Fame. He wore a tie that had the names of young men and women who have lost their lives to police brutality. So we've all heard of Tamir Rice. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all heard of Eric Garner. We've heard of Sandra Bland, who, yeah. and you know, we, all those instances have happened recently. They've all become great hashtags. I mean, mm-hmm. we have don't shoot. We have stand your ground laws in Florida that have, you know, we've just had a, a young African-American man who was shot in front of his family yeah. by a white guy who felt threatened by someone just pushing him. Yeah. Um, and in the same week, we had an African-American woman whose stand your ground case was thrown out because, yeah. and told, she was told that she couldn't use that yeah. as her defense. And that was an African-American woman. So, you know, I, instead of. What I want to ask the viewers to think about is how do we move past these catchy hashtags? What do you think that we can do to keep people engaged in the conversation and wanting to take small steps to improve their own community relations with police officers? I think this is a beautiful beginning, you know, having these conversations, having them openly, having them honestly Mm -hmm. um, and not feeling, you know, offended when someone says there was a time I was afraid of a police officer Mm -hmm. and understanding having that empathy. I think empathy hugely is what will help remedy a lot of the ills and things that have happened, especially in communities of color. So the conversations have to happen and then changing the culture of the police force, um, changing the culture of the communities and how they respond to police presence, you know, having, you know, laws in place like stop and frisk. These things have to be undone. These things have to be remedied. They have to be um, like there has to be some type of ramifications for laws that have been put in place to specifically target communities of color. And how do we undo those things? You know, Mm -hmm. I saw something just recently about bait cars and bait trucks being placed in low income areas. And I'm like, why are we picking a fight? Right. A fight that doesn't have to happen. Whereas the same amount of energy and resources could then go to police officers going into schools and say, this is my job. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But this is how I want to impact your community. We've had lots of stories that go viral of police officers. I know one is like, I think his name is Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually. Yes. Yes. I he's exactly, he's awesome. He's so awesome. And he goes into the communities of color and he plays basketball with the kids. He right. builds these relationships because the trust is broken. I need to know that not only only can I trust you, but you can be reliable upon right. in the event that I, I am in need mm-hmm. because your your job is to protect and serve. Right. I want to feel protected. I want to feel served. But I also want to feel that I can teach my children, you know, the respect level across the board mm-hmm. and not feel like they have to be afraid of you. Right. Stop arresting our babies. Right. And just to touch on that. You know, what's unique about Officer Norman is his wife is African-American. Yeah. So he has a unique perspective knowing that if him and his wife decide to have a family, his sons, his daughter could easily be put in positions similar to Felicia's. So he knows the importance of bridging that gap. So, you know, I would say to, you know, African-American officers, white officers who don't have connections to the community that they serve, 
really take an, make an effort, make an effort to get to know the people that you are serving because that way you'll be able to communicate with them and have the dialogue needed to do more than just protect them. You could be able to actually solve crimes, which yes. is a number one issue for communities of color. Crimes are not getting solved, yet we're getting over-policed. Yes. So we, we, we really got to start working together to bridge that gap because it's not that we don't need police. We, we need them. Yes. We, we yes, definitely we need them. Um, so I also want to go back into, you know, folks using their platform to kind of move the bar forward and see change in our communities. You know, Colin Kaepernick is an athlete yeah. and we've seen him take a knee, you know, on plenty of occasions to bring to bring um, to bring forward or to make folks pay attention to police mm-hmm. brutality and how we can better those relationships. How do you feel celebrities, athletes people in power, how do you feel that they can do more to kind of push the conversation in a positive direction? I think that's a great question. Um, Shout out to number seven, well, past number seven, Colin Kaepernick. I absolutely stand behind you. Um, I think what you're doing is noble. I think it's so necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, They call him the modern day Muhammad Ali. Awesome. Um, So, yeah, shout out to you. I think how celebrities can, you know, use their platform, I mean, he did it in the most, I feel like, noble way, even after speaking to a lot of uh, veterans, because obviously the rhetoric has changed. Mm-hmm. It's making it's as if, you know, it's, you know, disrespecting the flag and the nation and et cetera, et cetera. And his reasoning for kneeling, he said, I spoke to someone. They said, no, the most honorable way you can do it if you have a grievance, especially with your country, or whatever, is to take a knee. Right. So we've changed the rhetoric completely and be like, oh, my God, he's anti-America. No, he's doing it because he loves America. Mm-hmm. And I think um, rallying behind him. Instead of alienating ourselves and painting him to be like some type of rebel, it's it's wrong. And he needs to be supported in that. Other athletes can continue with the conversation, can continue educating our kids, continue educating communities, even having mentorship programs with police officers, with the communities that they, you know, they patrol. I think the disconnect and the dishonesty, the cold, what is it, the blue cold yeah. that is shielding some of the officers. There has to be a cultural change in that in general. Right. And when you have such a huge platform of being a celebrity, you have a voice where your followers listen to you, your mm-hmm. fans listen to you. It's in those moments that you, you need to use the platform to say, I recognize this is happening. I recognize this is a problem. These are some of the ideas that I have to, you know, to make a solution. LeBron James is something huge just recently right. with sending kids to college, even providing resources for their families mm-hmm. outside of that. And I'm positive that he probably has some ideas on how to better the communities that are being served by police officers because right. you wouldn't even have these type of um, issues without having that, uh, how do you say, that bridge gap, right. for right. instance. So I think it's necessary for us to rally behind people like Colin, um, rally behind ideas that are proven to be best practices amongst neighborhoods of color, police, um, policing of those neighborhoods and really um, empowering those movements. Yeah. Last night we had preseason games for the NFL. Yeah. A lot of players took a knee. A lot of players stayed in the locker room. Yeah. Others held their fist up. Of course, on the anniversary of Charlottesville, yeah. you know, 45 decided to tweet this morning, his anger against players protesting uh, peacefully. And, you know, it's just another example 
that there are people who we are not going to be able to change their mind. We have to understand that. And accept it. And accept it. But it doesn't stop what we can do. Right. It it doesn't stop. So we're going to continue to, you know, push our agenda forward and make sure we can really create change in areas we know that we need to change. Absolutely. Um, So to another question or just to wrap this up, I'd like to ask, you know, so... My question to you is, what do you say when folks say you're beating a dead horse? Uh You know, we should just let it go and we should just move on. I can't move on. I made a statement and I was very slow when I said it and I said it purposefully. Stop arresting our babies. Tamir Rice was 12. I am raising two men of color that will grow up to possibly be seen as big, scary black men. Why? Because my husband is six foot two and he's 300 plus pounds. Genetically, it will be proven I might have big, black, scary boys. And that frightens me. Right. I hug them tighter even now because it's like I couldn't imagine someone taking you from me. And I can't move forward because... Tamir Rice happens. Right. And there's going to be more little babies that happen. A seven-year-old was just arrested for watching his father go through an interaction with police officers. And he was so terrified that he wanted to intervene at seven years old. So they put cuffs on our babies. Stop arresting our babies. If you wouldn't do it to a white child that was seven years old, don't do it to ours. Or if you wouldn't do it to your own. Yeah. Right? They're babies. it, It just... It boggles my mind that it's like we we have issues driving while black, riding while black. I recently heard a story on another podcast about how, you know, in African-American communities in Chicago, they have an ordinance where you have to when there's a pedestrian on a sidewalk, you're as a on your bike, you're supposed to move to the street. There were. 70 times more tickets given out to young black boys um, because they didn't decide to to start riding on the street when there were pedestrians on a sidewalk. I mean, in every instance, we're seeing that the biases that people have personally, especially police officers, are becoming reality when they're doing their job. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do. I'm excited to continue to have these conversations on my podcast. Um, You know, folks, you can... Find me on Instagram and on Twitter at the Surge 2018 and also at Citizen the Pod. This platform is for us to continue to talk about how we can get more engaged and more involved in our own in our own politics and our own government. You all know it's it's a movement over here, baby. If you're not registered to vote, I suggest you get out there and Please do it. Please vote. Um, if you are registered to vote already, I'm gonna need you to make sure you haven't been kicked off the voter rolls because they are purging folks for yes. inactivity. Yes, you know and. We have a job to do. We're less than 90 days from the midterm elections, and we've really got to make sure that we flip one of these one of these branches of government so there are some sort of checks and balance to our president because the things that he's doing and implementing do not benefit us, okay? Um, Felicia, how do we get our hands on all of this awesomeness around us? Oh, yes. So you can come visit me, 527 West Utica Street, um, Buffalo, New York. We're currently expanding, so it's going to be a lot, maybe even double what we have now. 
or you can visit us at www.blackmonarchy.com. Uh, Facebook is also backslash back Black Monarchy, sorry, and Instagram is shot Black Monarchy. And I just want to just leave it one thing. Our tagline is Origin of One, which basically celebrates that we were one human race and dispersed amongst the globe. I feel like if we bring that level of empathy yes. with policing, with community, that we're so much more alike. We all want to get home, okay? Yes. We all want to see our children grow up. No one wants to bury their father, son, auntie, uncle. You don't want bad press. We don't want bad media. Right. We want, actually, we really do want peace. Right. Um, because you can be great. We can be great. And I feel like if we bring that level of humility to the job and to our interactions, we can really hit the mark. Yeah. That's awesome, folks. I'm so happy you joined us today. You can catch us on YouTube very soon. I'll be able to tell you where we are very shortly. So, again, thank you so much. And this was Citizen the Pod.